Persons under 18 will not be admitted. Every 10 or 15 years, a film is produced that is so overwhelming, so forceful in its impact, that it becomes deeply embedded in the mind. That God damn it. Okay. Hi everybody, I'm Mark Dodson. <laughs> You're listening to Still Talking With. What's up everybody? It's comedian Sherwin Array, and you're listening to Still Talking With on the Dorkening Podcast Network. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. We all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. (laughs) With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. Hey, hey, happy Wednesday, everybody. You're watching Still Token With, powered by the Dorkin Podcast Network. We have an awesome show for you. My name's Leo. I'm the monkey behind the keyboard here. And as always, Benjamin, how's it going, bud? Fucking awesome. <laughs> Fabulous. It's you Wednesday. Are, Wednesday, and you are so excited for tonight's guest. Uh, dude, I am super excited for tonight's guest. Super, oh, wow. super excited. Hell yeah. Uh, you I'm know, sure. one of the biggest things I want to know is how the Gulf of Mexico smells like cow shit. Just curious to that fact. But we'll find out, I'm sure. Like on the water? Yeah, yeah. It's all in the book. But we'll get into that, too, with this amazing guest. But yeah, yeah. From what I understand, the Gulf of Mexico smells like cow shit. Wow. Yeah. Jeffrey. Good evening. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) I was um, uh, caught off guard. No, no, not at all. Well, I was having technical difficulties while the uh, the Be intro surprised. was playing, so you know, I finally got it back to where it belongs. <laughs> you know, no, so, but yo, uh, welcome. Let's uh, let's just uh, let's get into it. Let's welcome Tim McBride. Hello, Tim. hello, everybody. Uh, Good to be here, man. Hello, hello, hello. Well, welcome, welcome, brother. Yeah, and uh, just a uh, recap because I'm I'm a uh, I'm hitting all the wrong buttons tonight. So uh, just <laughs> we're talking with Tim McBride, and uh, for the people listening on Dead Dork Radio, because I just pushed this live on Dead Dork Radio just now, like right this second. Bravo, bravo! <laughs> I didn't you're, forget. I didn't you're forget. The, you're the man, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> right. How did these these pictures get all switched around here? I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I just, used to be over here. Yeah, yeah I was I, down. 
I thought. No. There we go. I tried to. I feel better now. <laughs> what the fuck? Hey, don't do that. You just fucked with my head. <laughs> Listen, I haven't finished smoking this yet. You can't do that, Leo. Yeah, they're going to start calling me fucking Jeff now or some shit. Right? <laughs> right? I'm going to have to grow me one of those pull toys. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it, uh, it got to be about 18 or 19 inches or so long. You know what? I started growing this damn thing was uh, when I started writing my book. And I thought, you know what? I told my kids, I'm not going to shave the damn beard off until I get my book published. And it, it got about that far, and I got published. So I just said, fuck it. <laughs> it just became part of me, man. You know what? I got to keep trimming it every now and then. Otherwise, it starts getting tangled in my shit, you know, and I start tripping and, you know. Right, right. Nobody <laughs> wants that. that, motherfucker. Nobody wants that shit. Right? <laughs> yeah, you could go fishing for gators with that motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. See, I was, thinking, there. I, was thinking there. The other, I was thinking the other direction. It's like anal beads. Oh, yeah, Benoit. <laughs> Benoit. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, <laughs> yeah, dude. No, gonna, I used to have little... What are you going to yeah, do? Weave uh, marbles into it? Yeah, yeah exactly. The, like little beads, you just put. I used to have like you know four, six or eight of them on there, and it, you know, I mean, and yeah, dude, I mean, you got you hit it right on the head, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's bring this back on track a little bit because you said something about cow shit, right? Yeah, I mean, I purchased the book, so I do right. have I do have the book. Um, and for all you watching or listening on the radio side of things, or later on the podcast. It's in the show notes, and he's got a copy right there in his hands. Saltwater Cowboy, Rise and Falls of the Marijuana Empire. And uh, we'll get into part of part of his story tonight because you were in the industry for 40 years plus. Well, no, the, the, there was three generations of us for 40 years. I managed, to be, I managed to be the third uh, out of the third generation, and uh, we had a good run for about 10 years. About 10 years? Yeah, wow. we, and, and what we brought to the table was uh, a step above what the second generation had taught us, which was the guys and the gals that I grew up with, you know, was our their fathers and the uncles and older cousins and then their grandpas and such kind of handed this on down, you know, from, from family to family, generation to generation, because the older they got, the tougher it was for them to do the work. So who they have to do the work? The fucking kids. <laughs> right, right. Right. So, but, but let's, let's start more at the beginning um, okay. Where you jumped in your Mustang and headed for Florida. Chuckalusky, it's yeah. called. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, that... um, go ahead. No, no, no. What what in particular? You want to know like the whole from the just give 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 the audience because I've seen your interviews. So right. I kind I've kind of right. gotten the gist. I'm I'm pretty yeah. sure I think Jeff might have watched one. Leo did not do his research as usual. So what? <laughs> Leo, Leo's got all the technical shit to handle, man. I, yeah. he gets a pass right. on that, but you know, um, so, so basically, it, give us. I can start right from the, the day I, I got back from working in California. I'd worked for Sammy Davis for two years, and that's another story that we can get into another time. That's in the book as well, um, and and how I managed to wind up, you know, doing that. But at that time, I had come back that summer, and it wasn't. I wasn't home back to Wisconsin. That is. Uh, I was born in North Carolina, an Army brat at the uh, 82nd Airborne Army brat at Fort Bragg. 
my father had gone through that and then got a job later on in the Midwest, uh, a sales job, which landed us right in, in, in Lake Geneva, a little town called Delvin right next door. Uh, and I uh, had been living there on the lake. And, you know, fast forward, uh, did my time in Hollywood, came home. And my next door neighbor, my, my dearest friend at the time, his sister was married to uh, one of the uh, a guy from 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 Florida, from Everglades, actually from Chukaluski. He was, you know, you know, part of the family. He was raised down there, so you know that was that was home for him. And um, she had come home. They, you know, they were coming home for the summers and back and forth and things like that for vacation. And he got offered a uh, a job on one of the fish on the uh, stone crabbing vessels down there. And uh, he didn't hesitate. He called me and said, dude, I'm leaving tomorrow. I said, I got a job, you know, very cool job working on the back of this stone crab boat. Don't know shit about it, but I'm going. You in? And I said, fuck yeah, count me in, man. <laughs> and I just happened to throw all my shit back in my cobra, you know, because, you know, right there was right there by the door. And uh, that next morning I was, uh, you know, on my, uh, on my ass was on my way to, you know, the, the very dead end of Highway 29, which is, you know, as you pass through Everglades, which is the first little island. Then the causeway that takes you out to Chukaluski, which is 129 acres, of, 29 acres of just pure paradise, uh, right in the heart of the Everglades and right at the at the very northwest corner of the Everglades National Park, and uh, that's where I, that's that's how I just wound up there, just on a whim, you know, because I was that I was always that kind of guy, you know. Right. And Time uh, to go. yeah, yeah, and, you know, yeah, and if the opportunity presented itself the same way it did for for my opportunity to work with Sammy Davis Jr. for two years, and you know, I could get in a couple hours into that, but um, that just happened on a whim. As a matter of fact, my my cousin drove his tour bus for you know my my cousin Joey in Ohio and his partner Huggin ran the drove his forty foot Greyhound tour bus, and it, primarily it was driven for his uh, Sammy's financial advisor because he had this something to do with the, the the dealing with the air pressure when he flew in his ear, he right. couldn't fly to where he had to go. So he had to take this tour bus all over the fucking country. And when he wasn't busy and driving and that kind of shit, he was home in Ohio, just kicking back, you know, watching the tube and shit. And I just happened to be in there. He said, Hey, Timmy, why don't you come out to LA for you know a couple weeks and hang out? Like, fuck yeah. So I went out there, managed to meet them. And long story short, wound up working, you know, you know, doing shit for Sammy Davis himself and, and, a, and a few other uh, big names, uh, Hollywood um, actors and stars at that time. But, um, the minute I got back, I was op- offered that opportunity again. And dude, I didn't give it a second thought. I was off and off to the races. And, uh, when we got down to, to Everglades, he had had that job secured for that end of that season on that crab vessel. And there was already a guy on there from Michigan who was the second mate. There's only three guards on the boat. There's a captain, a first mate, second mate. There's two pullers on the back pulling stone crab traps. And, um, I had taken a job helping his sister, build his brother-in-law and and his sister's new home that they were building on the island so i had some kind of you know i, I had backup in a way right and um you know when the house got finished i was kind of dicking around doing my thing and uh um the captain of the boat that mark was working on really wasn't digging this guy from michigan you know because he didn't know he, who he was where he was from you know not like us like like mark and myself and, and in the book i call him clark um because i didn't have at that time permission to use his name although i didn't need it um, I felt that because of our friendship, I was, you know, respectful enough to, to not use his name, having not asked him, could I? Right. And, um, and, um, but, um, um, yeah, so, uh, they didn't really know this guy from Michigan. They knew where we were from. There was, you know, Nancy's brother for Christ's sake, who was the fish house manager's wife who had lived there all his life. And they knew me cause I was part of their family 
you know, as it were, because living right next door. So there was no ifs, ands, or buts about, you know, about, you know, where we came from, you know, were we trying to infiltrate, were we cops, you know, this kind of shit, which is, you know, one of the things that, you know, for, for all those years is something that they looked out very carefully for, you know, new people in town, they're always like, you know, nobody really wants to know, you know, that kind of thing, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. terrible, it's terrible to say with regards to, you know, um, those types of people. But when it came to tourism and the guides and the people that interacted with the public like that, you know, they, they didn't have that attitude because most of those guys weren't involved anyways. But um, that being said, um, the captain didn't want this guy on the boat. So it only took him about a week to work his ass so fucking hard that he quit. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, you know, stone crabbing is a bitch, man. You know, I mean, it ain't a fucking it'll make a it'll make a man out of you in a, in a slap hurry, dude. Right. Um we're talking about, you know, by the time I got on the boat, I got on the crew, you know, you know, and this I'll we'll get into this later on if we got some time. But um, at that time, there were ha- we had 7000 traps and each trap weighed about, I don't know, 60 pounds a piece, you know, 50 to 60 pounds, because they're not that big. They're only about 28 inches in in width by maybe uh, 19, 20 inches or so in depth. But they stand probably 21 inches tall and they have a bit of a, you know, a flap on top with, mm-hmm. you know, that you can use to open it up. And a, and a round piece of PVC, we call a funnel that they climb into and they fall right into the trap. But at the bottom of the trap, there's about, uh, you know, five and a half inches of concrete at the bottom of this thing. So when mm-hmm. you take when you're when your buddy takes his buoy and pulls his trap in. Yours is already clean and baited and ready to go. So by the time he pulls his in, you're dropping yours. So it's a song and dance between these rows of traps whereby he picks one up, I drop one. I drop one, he picks one up. So there's always one in place of where we we left, where we picked one up. And those lines, because there are so many of them, 700 of them, they run for 18 miles. These lines can run 18 miles one direction. Then we'll stop and have lunch and then we'll skip over maybe 50, 70 yards or so. And we'll pull 350 more the other half back the other direction. So we're not twice as far away from where we started. Right. And and having 7000 of these, we're pulling 700 a day. We pull 700 here and then we go to another spot, 700 and we make our rounds. So these other traps have a chance to soak to get their catch on them. So just by their very nature, these boats are designed to to haul traps they're perfectly designed for hauling bales of pot too you know um (laughs) uh, so so my getting on this boat um came rather you know rather tongue-in-cheekishly if you were if you if you if you rather they um um the captain and mark knew that i would be okay with you know hauling pot whatever Right. So I was in part of the scenario by which this whole thing takes place. You you know, you, you get on about three in the morning, three, four in the morning, and you haul ass offshore to wherever line of traps you're, you know, you may be going to in the, at the Gulf at that, at that time. And when you get there, you begin to pull the first buoy. It has a, it's got a stick stuck in it. So, you know, it's the end buoy, uh, the low ran. At that time, we were using low ran. They didn't have the GPSs. And they would put us right on that buoy. And, and the minute the li- it's light enough out to sea, we start grabbing these goddamn things and we're slinging. They go through a block and tackles similar to what you see on uh, uh, like on deadliest catch. If you're familiar yep. with how that works. Right. Yep. Now they're using, they're using five eighths inch rope. We're using three eighths inch nylon line because ours are only 50 pounds. Theirs are over a thousand when they're full. 
And they have, you know, anywhere from 100, and, 100 to 200 to 300 fathoms, which is 12 feet yeah. of rope. Uh, a fathom is 12 feet of rope on these damn things. And we're only like the deepest we're at is 80 feet. You know, so we can sling through these things relatively quickly. But the, tr- the premise is the same. Only they have two bags floating with a line between them that they throw their grapple and hook to try to catch that line in between. Our scenario works rather similarly. We have a catch pole that we typically all make our own. We catch them by the buoy, but you know, underneath the buoy, we pull it through a block and tackle and around that thing that's spinning. You always see that big giant wheel spinning that they, they hang the rope mm-hmm. into and it starts to pull the trap. Yep. Well, that, that thing is designed like a, like a two pie pans put together like this. And it, what it does is it cinches the rope in between it. And as it turns, it, it grabs it, but it doesn't keep, continual rolling around it because it has what's called a knife sticking out the bottom of it that kicks the rope back out ours coil at our feet theirs has to go into a coiler because they got shit fucking forever of this rope right but um you know but that's that's how the you know the industry in which we work work I mean, you had to work that in order to be able to do what the boat was doing in the evening now, after this scenario had been imparted to me, I knew that, you know, when we got out there, you no, know, the sun's just coming up and I get out there, start working. Well, I wake up the first day I get out of the boat, I woke up and, and the sun's out. And I lean over and I look at the fucking, I look at Captain Billy and he's got a big ass shit and grin on his face. And he goes, hey, Timmy, he goes, you know what? We're not going to pull traps today. He goes, we're going to, we're going to run offshore this afternoon and unload a pot boat from Columbia. And I said, <laughs> cool, let's go, man. <laughs> So we just kind of, you know, dipped around, fucked around all day. And, you know, and the uh, the typical scenario by which this whole thing takes place is that the boat that's being that's coming to get loaded, our boat, let's say. Now, um, we had a call, particular call sign. The captain knew that he needed to shout out to this boat so they would know that. Um, and, and if we got a return from it, they would know that the, the boat coming to them was the one that's supposed to be coming to them. So they're not all, you know, ah, start throwing the shit or whatever the fuck. Yeah. But um, um, we hung out there all day long, just fucking around. And about three, three to four hours before sunset, Captain Billy, he gets on there and he calls, calls sign. They say, come on. So here we come and pull up to this thing. My first day ever working on that boat, never pulled a single trap, but I hauled 15 tons of fucking Colombian wheat back to shore on this boat. <laughs> and um, we get it to shore and uh, just outside the 10,000 islands, right out here where we live. Now, Chukalaski Island is one of the in- interior islands. It's one of the bigger ones uh, inside, but all the, 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 the other 10,000, the labyrinth, of islands that mother nature saw fit just to put perfectly in our backyard. You know, we had to make our way through those to get to, you know, Chukalusky. So our boat loaded in 15 tons, you know, I, that was a, that was a small load. I had since, and it throughout my career had never saw a load that small before. Um, and we literally went out fishing, you know, the smaller boats took it from us, did what they needed to do to it. We went offshore, cleaned off, came home. Um, and the very next day we did the exact same thing. He says, guess what? We're not hauling traps again today. He says this, this time it's 22 tons. <laughs> this was two nights in a row. Right. And, uh, and, uh, I'm thinking, wow, man, that's like, you know, but I was getting rookie pay at that time. I was, you know, five grand. I was thinking, damn, man, that's five grand, but he didn't get it right away. And there's a reason why we don't get it right away. 
But, you know, he said, you just made 10 grand you know, like that. But now that the captain understood that he had a crew that was willing to do the work and that could do the work from that point on, it was game on, man. I mean, we were working sometimes three, sometimes four nights a week. And the, and the jobs went from 22 tons to 25 tons to, to, to 30 to 40 tons. And not just on our boat, a lot of, you know, it took, you know, two or three of the boats like ours to pull these loads and bring them in. And that's why our shore crew had to be as such where, you know, at any one time, you know, when you pull up to a, you know, when you, when you pull up to the, to the 10, to the edge of the islands and you kill that engine on that, that big giant turbo diesel and you got all these, you know, 30, 40 other little boats wading off into the bushes with, you know, very shallow drafting, uh, what we call T-crafts at the time. There were a very wide, shallow drafting boat that we could hang uh, twin 235 Evinrudes on them, and they would have uh, vertical and horizontal trim. So if the prop would go through the water, that fucking boat could go through the water with, you know, 30, 40 bales on it. Right. And we knew the passes and the, and the deeper water better than anybody out there because hell, that was where we played, dude. That was our backyard, you know? And um, you can almost guarantee that once we had it on those little boats and it got into those islands, it belonged to us. And um, the, the scenario by which that happens, once they take it from us and we go offshore and, you know, and start to clean up and, and what have you, they will literally take it into Chukaleski Island and put it into one or two of our buddies' houses that we've literally taken the furniture out of and start at the back and load it from the back room to the bedroom, the bathrooms, the master rooms, you know, the dining room, the living room, the whole, I mean, the whole fucking house is ceiling to floor. And if there's still more coming, perhaps we move next door to Jimmy's house and we start doing the same thing. We start loading his house. And a lot of the a lot of the um, the vehicles that they use now, the, the this is the shore crew now that takes over the off, offshore crew is already done. We've done our thing. All the all the all the shit is off our boat. It's off the little boats and everybody goes and scatters and cleans and hides these boats because you can't just have, you know, one little town of villagers of an island of 129 acres with, you know, the entire town of less than 500 people with 50 of these, you know, small drafting boats. I mean, hello, like this. So they got <laughs> right. to go, go hide them, right? And get them out of sight and shit because, you know, I mean, it's just a little much, you know. But um, that being said, the, 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 a lot of the guys that who were the drivers, you know, and, and the drivers never own the, the vehicles that are being used to haul them, this stuff to Miami. And the, and the owners of the boats are never the ones that own the boats. And there's a reason for that as well. Um, but once the uh, once the night job is over now, it's our job to get it get to the mothership, get back to shore, get it off onto the little boats that can go to the 15, 20, 30 little boats that can go through the shallows and unload at the dock and throw it into the house. Now, if they're not putting it into the house, they're stuffing it into somebody's car, van, truck, or whatever the case may be, and they drive it home and park it in their driveway and just leave it there, you know. And then the, they have a two-meter radio. We must have had 150 of these damn things. And they had a five-digit combination on top of them where, I mean, everybody could talk because, you know, when you're doing something like this, you know, um, communication is absolutely key to, the, to, to everything right. that you do. And um, so everybody takes a radio. And you know, the next day, and then everybody goes to bed or to sleep if there's time still. 
And us, we just go offshore, we rinse down and wash down, and we sit next to another line of traps that we're going to go ahead and just pull some of the next day, you know, so we can come in with something. Because it's not untypical for a boat to spend the night or, you know, with, you know, whatever mechanical troubles or whatever the case may be. But so those, it was never any suspicion with that regard. Right. But um, the next day is when the shore crew takes over, and that's when the stuff is taken to Miami during broad daylight. And <laughs> and the crazy thing about it is there's only one way to get to Miami from where we are. There's right. one road in Everglades. That's Highway 29. There's only one goddamn road to Miami, and that's US 41. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we had our choice of, you know, <laughs> go here, go there, you know, right. or whatever, you know. I mean, it was, you know, and then I in this a funny story about, you know, having been interviewed, you know, back when I got busted about that, you know, and I asked this treasury, these two stupid treasury agents, if they understood the geography of Everglades City. <laughs> well, yeah. And I said, okay, well, how many roads in there and out of there are there? Well, there's one. Yeah, there's one. I said, well, how many are there directly from there to Miami? Well, there's one. Fucking right, there's one. And I didn't get all those millions of pounds of shit to Miami on the backs of pelicans and fucking porpoises, I told them. (laughs) (laughs) It went right down that one fucking road, man. Nine times out of ten, my people are waving at you while we're doing it. I mean, masters of hide in plain sight, because who would suspect that you're you're taking out, you know what, in two nights' time, you're doing uh, 44,000, you're doing 74,000 pounds of shit. You got to get off that island, you know, and you know, how, how the fuck are you going to get it off there? Well, right down that one fucking road that there is going in there. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. a little uh, two lane road, too. Yeah. Well, good <laughs> you know what? It, you know, and it's, it, you know, it's ridiculous to think that, you know, I mean, that they didn't have a, a, a clue. I right. mean, they had no fucking clue whatsoever, you know, but. When it comes to, you know, when it comes to seeing it come in as many different ways that I have seen it come, you know, all across the Caribbean, I've seen it come out of, you know, Jamaica, all through, all through Central America, through Mexico and Belize, Honduras, and even before Belize became Belize and Brit- when it was British Honduras and uh, Panama, even Colombia, the northern coast of Colombia, Bonquilla City, um, um, Jamaica was, I think, by far the best time ever. You know, I always loved going to Jamaica for some other reason. It was just, it was so more relaxed there because, you know, people have this 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 weird misconception about it being so easy to go to Columbia and get a load of weed and just get out of there. Well, you know, you got to put up with almost the same shit down there that you have to put up with here. The only difference down there is that, you know, most of them guys can be bought. You know, and it doesn't matter, but sometimes they don't allow you to bring the boat right up to shore. And a lot of times it may take, you know, if you've got a 60, 70, 80,000 pound, 40 ton or say 50 ton load, it, a lot of times it has to get loaded little bits by bits every night, you know, from smaller boats because they won't allow that boat to come to shore unless they pay more money. And that's just, you know, that's just how it was done there. Or they take the ship, you know, they could just take it whenever they wanted to. So um, right. it was a different scenario, but. Um, but it was just as a, you know, just as frustrating, you know, to do it that way. But, um, um, uh, segueing back to having seen it, think, I, thinking I had seen it, it, you know, every different way it was possible to all fucking thought because I mean, I'd seen it come on all different kinds of boats. I've seen it in every different kind of packaging there is because at one time we were taking so much shit out of Columbia. Um, it was just, it was ridiculous. They were running out of, out of, out of bag, burlap 
type of sacks to put it into. I mean, I had seen this shit ultimately come in and I didn't know that none of us knew that, that Purina made monkey chow at that time, or even, you know, um, elephant chow and stupid shit like that for zoos. Wow. Yeah. So they went out of the sugar bags, the Coke, the, the, the uh, coffee burlap, they were into the fucking nylon bags that the that the Purina shit came in because <laughs> you know you're you know you're buying you know thousands of these things at a time in order to you know to stuff your bales into and they had you know they were the, they had to be built the size that they would fit into these bags you know but um, I remember one time in in particular and we'll go back with we'll get back to the 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 smell of cow shit on the water and and how 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 that came about right there um i had you know had been working for years and and um typical scenario and and they're never they're always the same it's you know i mean you know it it would be kind of boring if if some of these crazy assholes weren't working this industry at that time and and a lot of them were doing that you know it would have been just a whole you know how many times can you hear about hauling a load of pot kind of shit but some right. of these fucking crazy fuckers man i mean these guys were um as it turned out you know we're headed out there we're doing a typical scenario whereby the captain you know does his thing and you know it out about a about two hours four hours or so you know give or take how how far they could come in it can only uh territorial waters is only 30 miles and a lot of the boats won't like to come in to you know, U.S. waters. Yeah. They want to stay right. out that, that, you know, that far because there's a lot of boat traffic out there on the radar when it comes to those sort of things. The shrimpers are out there and, you know, they can hide amongst all those little dots on those little blips on the radar. And you come any closer than that, you know, to shore and there should be nothing there because that's where all the stone crab traps are. The shrimpers had, we had an agreement that the shrimpers stayed 30 miles out, don't come any closer. The stone crabbers could have 30 miles within that way, but they're not dropping their nets and scooping up a half a fucking line of traps that cost, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. So after the war ensued, there came a kind of peace when everybody went, okay, 30 mile limit. So, um, at that 30 mile limit, this boats, you know, would call the boat, you know, and we typically stay off from, from in the distance to, um, to, a, to a, at a distance that's called the horizon, which is about how far you can see with the naked eye on the water. Depending on how high the vessel sat above the water line would depend on how far, how many miles you can see the vessel. And then 10 to, 10 to 11 miles or so is typically the range that we sat. And we did that because, you know, when you're on the when you set off the horizon, there's you have very plausible deniability about, you know, what the fuck are you talking about? What boat? You know, that kind of thing. So we call them and, you know, we get the call back and we head that direction and we we get about, a, I don't know, a half mile and a half maybe or so from this boat. And Captain Billy hands me a set of binoculars and he goes here to me, he says, check this shit out, man. He goes, you're you're not going to believe what you're about to see. And I went, mm, OK, so I put the binoculars up there and I'm watching and I swear to fuck, we get about, I don't know, half a mile or better from this from this damn boat. And the the, the, the gates and, and what it was was a cattle vessel. It had I bet it had 175 head of cattle on this damn thing. And the guy had been hired because of, of you know, his he would buy cattle in South America and sell them in, in New Orleans. Well, he had gotten approached and said, hey, look, why don't we just, you know, shove, you know, 20 tons of shit down below here and then just throw your cows on the boat and just let you go do your thing. And he opted for that, you know, no 
fuck yeah. I mean, who wouldn't at that time? There were a lot of pot haulers that were picked up that way. You know, the motherships like that. So we get ready to pull up to this damn thing. We sell these goddamn cows on the deck. And all of a sudden, the back end opens up on this boat. And these guys are with cattle prods. And they're running these fucking things off the back of this boat. <laughs> and I'm thinking, holy shit, we're looking at one. What in the fuck is going on, man? I saw these cows are like, and, you know, cows don't fucking swim all that great, man, if they even swim at all, right? And and it was like a, a huge bovine waterfall. These things just kept splashing one right after the other into the water. And, I, and I'm looking at Billy going, what the fuck, man? I mean, it was like, like, I mean, what a shocker, right? Yeah. And we had to get up. We had to get up next to this thing and they're clunking. Their hose are banging and their, their horns are banging on the side of the boat. And we're trying to get up next to this fucking thing and finally get up close enough to throw a line up to the fucking guy, up, you know, up, up on the rail. And there's this older dude standing there with a, you know, with a ball cap on backwards and he's peeling a fucking orange and, and we're yelling up, we're going, what in the fuck are you doing like this? And he goes, you know, we can't get all this shit out from down below with all these fucking cows in the way. So off they went. <laughs> the wow. guy was obviously making far more money, you know, hauling the load of weed than he was these fucking cattle, right? So he right. had no qualm. And, you know, and it just, you know. We're thinking, oh, Jesus, no, there's no fucking way, dude. You know, but it, it had happened, and, it, you know, there was nothing we could wow. do but get the fucking load and, and get gone, you know, that kind right. of thing. So we hurried up. We got our load. We got this shit. We took off, you know, and, and, you know, black smoke come out of the back of the boat, just wafted over this thing like a black veil, you know, and a black veil of death. And we just got the fuck out of there. And, and um so we get back to the, you know, unload and then, you know, the next day, you know, as the, as the shit scored to Miami, you know, we're, I managed to get up a little bit earlier, you know, about 10 or so like that. They're still loading cars and I walk over there and, you know, to see how the load was going. And, um, and um, we happen to be talking about, and we mentioned the fact, you know, these crazy motherfuckers, you won't believe it. You know, they threw these fucking cows in the water. So we're telling these guys on the short or the bail handler, it was this crazy ass story. Right. And um, so, we had done about maybe three, four different jobs in the meantime, you know, maybe three weeks or better go by. And then here comes the same fucking boat again, you know, and we're thinking, Jesus, what the fuck's going on? So, you know, and the same scenario, only this time he has pigs, he's got goats, he's got sheep, he's got fucking chickens. And for somehow, and, and I didn't know until later on, he had these little fucking spider monkeys. He must've had like 20 or 30 of these little bastards running around on this boat, just free, free ranging. And it, it turns out that when the boat gets, can get loaded at the dock it, in Columbia, if it can manage to get up that close to it, the little monkeys come down out of the trees. They start eating the goddamn seeds out of the fucking shaking shit and the bales off the boat. And they wind up passing out amongst the bales. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, when the boat's ready to haul ass and leave, they're you know they're sixty miles offshore. When these fuckers wake up, there's nowhere for them to go. <laughs> and they're stuck on this well. boat. So you know, same scenario. I'm watching. Open the fucking gates. Off go the cows. And just like that, I think the fucking monkeys knew exactly what was going on because there wasn't a spot on that light mask or on any one of them antennas that didn't have a fucking monkey on it. Because you know, it's like they knew these fuckers were going off the boat. And, the, and uh, but the cows and the pigs and the chickens and all that, they were cool. It was just too many cows. Right. So 
you know, one more time we pull up there, you know, we yelled up at the guy and I said, and we, and, and we said, you know what, you just can't fucking do this anymore. You know, don't come back. You know, we don't want to see your ass here again for two fucking reasons, two really main reasons. First of all, you know, the poor fucking cows for Christ's sake, you know, and second of all, you know, it's very much one thing to be, you know, strolling down the beach, picking up shells and shit and tripping over a dead fish. But it's very much another to be strolling down the beach and picking up shells and chip and fall over a dead fucking cow. <laughs> because right. they said they went, they started washing up on Naples Beach and then Fort Myers Beach. You know, they said, nah, not anymore because somebody's going to wonder where in the fuck the cows came from. Right. So right. <laughs> that was the end of that one. So we get back and we tell these guys, the same fucking guys came back, man. And they're like, well, aren't you just a bunch of fucking cowboys, man? And that's how so the saltwater cowboys. And that's how the original three guys on the boat got called that, you know, so, but eventually it, it caught on in town and over the years it caught on and it just, you know, it's just a, a, a term, you know, for a pot hauler, you know, right, and that's, right. that's how that happened. <laughs> like, I mean, he's, there's so many stories that you can tell. Right. And we're at a good stop and break for a commercial. Yeah. Sure. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna take a quick commercial break, but you everybody watching, listening, uh, I know we got a ton of people out there. Um, you can find everything you need to know about this awesome guest. Where Leo? Uh, in the show notes, up above or down below, depending on where you're watching or listening to us. And and, uh, and I know there's a link for the book, which you gotta buy the book because there's no fucking way we're gonna sit here for ten hours to talk to him tonight. Dude, I wrote, I was contracted for 80,000 words. I wrote 86,000. I edited, I edited out 200,000. <laughs> to the version you do you it read now, you know, so. Go ahead, Leo. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll let you think about this. Uh, you probably just answered it. Uh, but Jeremy is asking, uh, Tim, what's been the scariest moment of your life? Uh, and why you think of that? I am going to play the ads. So here we go. Good. The spring has finally arrived, and that means summer cannot be far behind. And you know what I'm doing at the end of the summer? I'm going down to Maryland for the Pop and Horror Con, August 27th and 28th. Hope to see you there. It's going to be a great time. Hey guys, this is Tony Moran. I played the original Michael Myers from John Carpenter's movie Halloween. Uh, I'm doing this great convention called the Maryland pop and horror convention anyways can't wait to see you guys take care bye bye hey kids george low here voice of tv's beloved space ghost and you know what would be horrible and horrific and really scary to miss maryland pop and horror con
wow. So Leo's still off camera and we lost Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I saw somebody disappear during that. I thought it was you. I was like, oh shit, we lost him again. No, and I'm in there. It, it was fucking Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, fuck it, man. I guess it, I guess we talk on the phone all the time. Jeff's probably sitting in the back room going, Leo, what the fuck, man? Yeah. <laughs> Scratch his head wondering what the fuck. Right, right. He must have got a phone um, call. But yeah, yeah, you know what? There we go. There's a, there's one of us. Hey, Jeff. There he is. He's back. Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, of course. Wow. We're, we're we're switched again, but hey, okay. I'm good with well, that. The second half of the show, we can do that. I, uh, yeah, I just stars. had a I just I just had a shift in consciousness as well, so it doesn't make much difference. So. <laughs> right, right. Well, the gummy was starting to kick in too, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> never could manage the never could manage the edible man. Always, you know, my tolerance is such that I had to eat so much of it, it gives me a stomachache. Right. Oh yeah. See, I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't have to eat that much. But uh, Leo, what's up, bro? Oh no, I messaged. Uh, I messaged Ben. Quick bio break. It... <laughs> bio break. That's what, that's what we say at work. Oh, oh, oh. bio, a bio break. Have bio you used the little boys room? Yes. Right. Ah. So your the the question that your 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 viewer posed was, what the scariest time that I had ever. In, yeah, uh, yeah. What's an event? Uh, yeah, what's one of the scariest moments uh, that you've had? Well, to be to be quite truthfully with you, I have been to who I call in my book the boss's mansion in Colombia a number of times. And when I first met him, um, I had no fear whatsoever. It was just like every day, uh, ordinary, like I was a kid and I'd done this before. I met people in Jamaica. I met people in Central America and and um, in Jamaica, um, I had done $100 million uh, marijuana deals in downtown Miami on a street corner in front of a Cuban cafe, dunking Cuban bread into a Cuban coffee with a handshake. You know? <laughs> and this this misguided conception about all these dimly lit back rooms that are smoky filled and the guns on the tables and the guys in the background that, that you can barely see. You know, there's nothing could be further from the fucking truth, man. I mean, there's a lot of Hollywood into that shit. And, I, and you know, and it trust me because I've, I've, I've done this. I can't tell you how many times I've made deals like this. Millions of pounds worth of deals like this shit. But what scared me the most, and I was never scared for my life until the United States government showed up at my house and put pistols at the back of my head. That was the time that I was ever afraid the most throughout my entire career of potholing. Never once did I fear the law about getting caught and, and what would have happened to me with that regard, you know, because at those times when I was growing up, the sentences were such where, you know, fuck, the guys were getting popped on a van load of shit or they get, you know, a boatload of shit or whatever, wherever they're from, they get 10, 12, 14 months, you know, slap on the wrist and then, and then they do maybe eight or nine of that and go home and we keep the electric on for them and keep the family fed and the bills paid and then just put them right back to work again you know <laughs> I mean, it was just like that right. but when it came time you know the, the the most frightening aspect of whatever it was that i had done was that night that that all those federal agents came into my house and stuck a gun at my face that was that was my that was my that 
you could have cut a cigar with my fucking sphincter that night. <laughs> but you know, but that's that's where that's the that's the honest truth. That's as that's as, as frightened as I had ever gotten in you know, there were times when you know you, you there's a fine line between the the ultimate excitement and the ultimate the ultimate exciting experience and being scared to death, you know. Right. or scared for your life there's it's a really fine line there and and a lot of times we worked that line really really finely you know because there were times when we went whoo, whoo, like this you know i mean that was that was close dude i mean i had uh you know i i, I had my share of you know you know a- almost getting there but never in the time that i had, had been involved in all the all the years that i've been involved in this and i grew up in the industry did i ever worry about getting caught because you know, first of all, we're kids, you know, and we're, you know, we're growing up with these guys and we're working and we're learning. And if they're not afraid, why should we be afraid? You know, right. it was the, the, that kind of mentality. And um, there's just, you know, there's just so much to tell about, you know, the, the goings on or the inner workings of the, of the whole thing and the hierarchy and all of that. What, what, what piques your curiosity the most? What, what would you be more interested in hearing? Because, like, dude, like, you know, Ben, you know, I could sit here for another four or five hours. And just oh, I roll, know, I know. I, know? I, I watched an interview um, that you did recently and you right. spoke about how you went into a car dealership. Right. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and bought and bought, I believe it was a vet and then realized they had uh, some ragtop Jeeps. Right. They were affordable. So uh, tell tell our viewers and listeners that quick because it's a quick little story about what you guys did and all that. But right. I think it's fucking hilarious. Right. Well, this is one of those ways in which we learned how to spend money and not have anything to show for it. And when you're making like I was as a kid, you know, I'm just turned 21. I'm averaging over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cash a week, you know, and and so are all my buddies. You know, everybody else is making cash, too. So, you know, at you know, even today you're required um, uh, when you when you uh, spend more than ten thousand dollars, you're required to fill out what's called a, a cash transaction receipt, a CTR. And they then in turn claim that to the IR, you know, the um, Internal Revenue Service and blah, 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 all that bullshit. But there, it, even during the day that I was running, you know, there were there were ways to circumvent that. You know, I mean, I, we knew too many people in the business and club owners and, and boat owners and boat builders and, and boat sellers that knew us well enough to know that, you know, we could come in and, and just pay them the cash in increments. You know, we're like that. We're good for it. You know, fuck. But um, they would. um um, remind me what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there's, there's just the, so much to buying the so, jeep, buying the sorry, jeep. So much to tell. Yeah, well, yeah, because that reminded me of a, another time about buying a truck for a dude. But um, no, I'm, I, I'm. There was no real big grocery store at you know in Everglades City. There was a, you know, a small grocery that's that's you know sufficed for you know odds and ends and things like that and you know quick necessities or a quick meal like that. But we go into into town to the supermarkets, you know, to the bigger chains and what that. And and I'm I'm on my way into town to go grocery shop and I pass a Chevy dealer and I see this badass Corvette man. It's like got fat tires all the way around. It's got mag wheels. It's got the ground effects. You know, just badass thing. And I just went whoop. I pulled right in there. Come to find out, it was the uh, the owner of the dealership's son had just turned it in and bought something new. And I said, I want that car. 
you know, like just like that. I said, that's mine right there. So I bought that car right there. But as I'm on the phone, because and I'm driving a Cobra now, and I'm on the phone calling a couple of my, you know, one of my buddies back in Everglades, and I'm saying, you know, you know, to bring one of the other guys up to drive my, you know, my Cobra home. And I'm while I'm on the phone, I'm looking out out into the the yard, and they got these ragtop Jeeps for sale, <laughs> and they're like eighty seven ninety five a piece, brand new, you know. And I'm thinking, holy fucking hell. What? And so I caught, and when I answered the phone, I said, get Jimmy, Teddy, Willie, and Br- you know, Brandon and, and all those guys and Mikey and get their asses up here. They got Jeeps for under 10 grand. Let's go have a, let's go have a blast, man. So it wasn't 45 minutes later. Here comes a bunch of my buddies. There was like, you know, seven of us and we each bought a Jeep <laughs> and we took, and we take it out to this, uh, to the place, this you know, uh, local hangout we call Bad Luck Prairie, where you, you know it's just wide open prairie, and then there's some, there's there's some, uh, you know, um, some hammocks and things out there that you know, with taller trees that you can find shade in, and and uh, we just we left our cars parked there at the dealership and grabbed all seven of these jeeps and hauled the fuck ass out to Bad Luck Prairie and had one mean ass fucking demolition derby with these things man it was just a riot for hours we just crunched and crashed and you know and just rolled these things over when i say roll it over my the girlfriend i was with when i wrote about in the book this dingbat blonde she you know she was a one of the hottest bartenders in town of course but um (laughs) she she sees the roll bar you know, inside the Jeep, and she's thinking you can roll this thing, right? So she's screaming, roll it, roll it, roll it. She's hanging on to the window like this, and I just cranked that motherfucker. I rolled that thing about three times in the sand and the palmettos, and, and of course, we were buckled, strapped in pretty good, you know, and I'm spitting sand out. I got sand in my eyes and shit like that. So another guy came and hit me and knocked me back over on my wheels and we so we could take off again. But, the, you know, the what wound up shit we were out there three four hours and we had one jeep left that was capable of getting us back into town we pulled in on the lot and this thing's doing this <laughs> we just pulled it into a parking spot we each got in our cars and took off because <laughs> the you know we the dealership knew us they knew who we were <laughs> look, at, look at jeff's yeah. face he's like <laughs> these guys from everglades you know it's you know it's like take you know, it, it, and, and the, the adults were very adamant about, you know, the spending of money, because if you got stupid, you know, and you, you come pulling into your, your, your trail, your driveway of your trailer with a Ferrari or some stupid shit like that, you know, I mean, you're gone. You just don't work anymore. You know, the yep. stupid shit like that doesn't. Right. But I had a, I had bought that Corvette only in that, you know, stone crabbing in itself is a very lucrative job. You know, it's mm, right. it'll it'll bust your ass and make a fucking man out of you. But you can stick to it. And the captain is willing to move the traps when they need to be moved and, and a crew that will work hard like that. You know, I, it wouldn't have, you know, it was nothing for me to bring home in those days. And we're talking about 79, 80 and 81 and 82 and like that. You know, um, bringing home five, six, seven hundred, twelve hundred dollars a week. You know, that's that was a lot of money in those days. Yeah. So I could afford sure to live. I could afford to live within a certain means. Um, <laughs> and that being said, in order to to not stick out like a sore fucking thumb, like most of the adults didn't want you to, you know, because like I said, if you did, you just didn't work anymore. And they needed they needed kids because we were their asset. These old men aren't out there humping, you know, 70 pound bales, you know, 800 or a thousand of them a couple of times a night. <laughs> Fuck no, that's why they had all these kids. Right. But, um, 
you know, I could, uh, I could live according to those means, but where the difference was made when you talk about real money is when you open the door of the trailer and you walk inside and you see the, the very, the real plush Berber carpet and all the new leather furniture and all the high tech appliances and, and high tech stereo and televisions and all kind of shit all through the fucking house. Just, you know I mean? Just decked out. That's where the difference was made. Just a really obscure trailer turned into this, you know, Beverly Hillbillies mansion. When you open the front door, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure one of you two must have other questions. So, well, because, I, uh, I, I, I we've, do. We've got we've I, got about 15 minutes, maybe 20, and Leo's gonna shut it down so he can do his other show tonight. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on how marijuana's turned from like you know this evil thing to where we're on the cusp of it being legalized throughout uh, the U.S. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm thinking as I smoke the weed that I just bought down the fucking street, <laughs> first thing that comes to mind is I should be getting some kind of fucking credit or some shit, man, because you know what? I paid a sixteen a six million dollar fine and I spent four years of my ass behind federal prison fences. <laughs> right? But, Which is in the book. But barring that, you know, it's 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 really ironic. You know, to sit here and think that, you know, I was given multiple life, you know, handed multiple life sentences for something that, you know, somebody can drive down the street now and, you know, and buy, and buy. Plus, right. coupled with the fact that some of my dearest friends today. Um, uh, if you go to my website, which is www.originalsaltwatercowboy.com and take a look through the media you'll you'll see a lot of stuff that i've done in there um recently and if or if you google my name tim mcbride slash everglades a myriad of stuff will come up pages of stuff will come up all my latest podcasts <laughs> and interviews and in a in a documentary that i had done with, with viceland that included um who was at the time and and pictured with me on the front page of the Naples Daily News the day I was arrested, Mr. John Deasy uh, of the U.S. United States Customs Office. He and I are just the dearest friends today, man. Um, and that's a story all to itself. You know, a couple of CIA, a couple of Secret Service individuals that came down to run interdiction were, were just the dearest friends. And they live right here near me. So we see each other all the time, which is kind of ironic, you know, plus having had a conversation and being offered a, to, a chance to come to the um, Department of Homeland Se uh, Security's office here in town and, and meet the supervisor for South Florida <laughs> Homeland Security. <laughs> he called that he called just we had a mutual friend. I won't go into that. He said he wanted to meet a legend. And I laughed at him. I said, what? <laughs> he said, you just come and talk to me. He says, you know, you can explain some shit to me and I'll tell you some shit that'll blow your mind. up." So we had an interesting conversation, too. So that was very cool. But, um, you know, yeah, um, People ask me about embellishment in the book because when I talk about having worked 28 nights in a row, one of the chapters is, and of course, a town of two of just under 500 people and uh, half the town is involved in you um, because you cannot continue to work the same people night after night after night after night. And ultimately, there were five crews that I ran throughout southwest Florida from Everglades to Pine Island. And there were more as many as 50 to 60 people on each crew. And I was keeping them busy night after night after night. This is the extent to which it all had come to at one point. But um, if you want to know this story intimately and you want to hear it tell, to, to, you know, told from somebody who was there, 
And all the adults and the older generations that I spoke with while I was writing this agreed that this story should be told by somebody who was there, somebody who had handled all these millions of pounds and, and, and without any embellishment, because to have embellished upon what was written, two things would have happened. One would have made it sound like so ridiculous that it would have been laughable. And the other would have put it just beyond the room, the realm of human possibility. And that was the edge on which we were working, the, the edge of the realm of human possibility. And to, and then, um, what I like people to understand, too, is that um, how this history began, how it was done by families, it was never non it was never nonviolent. I never saw a gun in my entire ever. Did I ever see one ever? There's a story in Colombia where I picked up one one time on my way out the door only because everybody else was crapping them, you know, but I, I never fired it or I never fucked with it or anything like that. But um, because they were generational as well, the families that we were purchasing around the Caribbean from. So that's how this all, you know, and they should know that there was a way that this could have been done that way. And never once did we ever fire a shot. And I asked the Homeland Security Advisor this what that same day we were talking. How does it feel having taken this out of the hands of people for generations that never fired a shot at you? Never a single fucking shot to what's happening with the 30 plus thousand deaths in Mexico because of you let them have it <laughs> basically. Right. You know, and, but, you know, I could go on about that too, you know, but the biggest takeaway that I want people to have when they read my book is to understand the nonviolent nature in which it can be done. And, and the simple fact that now that if they have a choice, they can have a choice legally and, and try it legally I want them to go into the notion of a very cool Rasta dude and it's cut off jeans and big long dreads out in the field, rolling a spliff in a, in, in a dried up banana leaf, which I've done dozens of times or the, or the picture of a, you know, a, a cool little Colombian guy and his family and his white cotton hat and blouse and, and, and slacks out in the field, just tending like that. Just, the, just that vibe, not that death and mayhem and destruction that's happening on our Southern border, you know? So Pick up Saltwater Cowboy, uh, Rise and Fall of Marijuana Empire, and and understand how it was done by families. Wow. wow. Did you read it yet, Ben? Uh, I started, yeah. That's how I found out about the cow shit. Yeah, I mean, even though I, I won't tell you where it is in the book. You're just going to have to buy the book and read it. But I was like, the first thing I did is I sent, sent him a message. I go, I really need to know about the gulf smelling like cow shit. <laughs> Well, that's the first whiff I got of it when we were getting close to that boat. I'm like, smell a cow shit, you know? <laughs> so I figure, you know, why not grab people by the, you know, and nothing is more gratifying than, of course, obviously having a second edition being printed, but having your work turn out exactly how you intended it to. And that's to grab the reader by their ass and pull them to the front of their seat and keep them there to the last words read. And, you know, a lot of the 118 reviews that I've gotten so far on Amazon say pretty much the very same thing. One guy kind of went off the rails because I think he was a cop or a, or a, um, a, a correctional officer or some shit. But the, the very last sentence was, sentence was, I wouldn't mind having a beer with the guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of cool. <laughs> All right, Jeff, what about you? I, you must have a question. Uh, I'm just loving his stories. Okay. Yeah. I, I just figured I mean, I'd give seriously. you the opportunity. No, I've been sitting there. I'm all gummied up, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could tell you another short story if you'd like, you know. Fire. Yeah. 
I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not got any lack of those fuckers around laying around, man. <laughs> oh, let's see. Where do I begin? Um, yeah, you know, um, it had always been, we were, you know, we, we didn't pothole all the time. We always took time to, you know, to, to just go pull our traps and this and that, let a couple of other boats work a few nights. And then we'd work a few nights because like I said, you can't keep working the same crew over and over and over. I mean, there was just, I mean, there were freighters parked out there, literally like a parking lot. And at any one time, and I've been aboard freighters because you just don't pull out there and expect the shit to come raining down on your boat. You know, it just doesn't happen that way. A lot of times you're going to have to get up on the deck. You got to climb up these fucking rope ladders, get on the deck of these freighters, get into the bilge and literally build a, a pyramid of bales to stand on. So you could bucket brigade this shit to somebody up above that's throwing it out onto the deck. And when they got, you know, when you think you got 800 pieces or some shit and, and you're taking turns in the hole because, you know, I've seen these, I've seen boats with as much as uh, 300 and 350,000 pounds on them that we would have to come out two and three nights in a row to unload. And the shit having sit in the hole for as long as it does begins to have the same effect that a mulch pile has when it gets, it gets to sit, it starts to heat up a little bit, starts to self combust. So that heat coupled with the engines that are run 24 seven, they never turn these fucking motors off on these freighters ever. And so we'd have to be taking turns and shit like this. So that's a little bit of a preamble to how it typically works. Well, we go off and we're pulling offshore three boats our size. I have a, we have a 51 foot Marine management with a, uh, with a nearly a 19 foot beam on it. There's very wide boats. We can stack a lot of shit on this boat, three boats like this. And we were expected to get 60,000 pounds off of this freighter. So we're sitting out, I don't know how many miles offshore we're sitting and, you know, we're diving and swimming around and fucking around and fishing and smoking weed. And, and uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere, here comes this goddamn single engine Cessna off the water. He's about, I don't know, 10 feet off the fucking water and you can't hear it coming until it's right on you. And it comes sailing right over the top of our fucking boat and just missed our antennas. And then and it went up and it banked and it turned. We knew right away then who it was. It was the guy who was running this job, Daryl. Now, Daryl had the means by which to buy an airplane, but didn't have a license, just the money to have a guy pay him to show how to fly the fucking thing. right? <laughs> so he flies this thing out there and, and out comes this milk carton in a note. So one of his tools over there, we grab it, we read it, and, then it and it says one of the boats that are there, one of the three boats needs to go off to this direction and unload this boat, you know, and let the other two continue on. And so the other two boats flipped a coin because we were staying with the original. So I don't, I don't remember who left, but they left and left us two boats. Well, skipping ahead, we wait for the right time of that evening to to to, to say the call sign and. We get the okay and we approach this boat. We pull up and this goddamn thing. I mean, it was it was 400 feet if it was a foot long. This fucking thing was, and the wow. deck, the weather deck was 16 feet at least above our deck, Whoa. which meant if they were throwing the shit off of there, it had to fall 16 feet before it hit our fucking boat. So, and there was no way to tie off. So the captain had to keep the boats, you know, against the side of this fucking freighter. And it, as it turned out, we didn't have to get on board because there, I bet you there were, I don't know, 70 or 80 of these black fellas on there that were in a single file. They would go down one hatch door opening a doorway down and, and 
come out another hatchway on the other side of the deck on, of the deck with a bale on their shoulder each single file one right after the other single file down and up and down and up. there were 80 of these at least 80 of these guys and they were taking turns they threw one on that boat one on this boat one on that boat one on this boat you know and then they were coming and and at that time these kind of these kind of bales were I mean, they were pretty packed. They had gotten their shit together by this time. The evolution of the bale had come to such where they were, you know, they were starting to tighten it up. And every time the, you know, with the third or fourth one hit the deck, you could hear the deck going like it was going to crack in half. The birth so of we're thinking, oh, my God, they keep throwing these goddamn things. They're going to fucking bust our boat in half. Right. So <laughs> um, there, were, there were so many of these guys coming. I mean, they were just throwing this shit. And the bales were fairly uniform. I mean, they weren't odd shaped and shit like that. Like I had seen growing up in the industry. I, you know, I mean, I had seen so many different ways and shapes and sizes and shit you, you can't imagine. And, um, but um, here they come. And by our inability to keep up with the, you know, as many that were dropping, they wound up hitting one another and landing on one another. And that solved the deck breaking problem, you know, so we could kind of, you know, start snatching from the edge and throwing them. And we had them up on the bow of the boat, you know, up to the windows. We had them around the edge of this, the, this, the wheelhouse up to the windows. We had them sitting on top of the, of the deck of the wheelhouse, just high enough so the radar could turn. And, and that was straight back to the stern of the boat. And we're talking about from the deck to the top of the wheelhouse was probably about 11 feet. And we were just stacking these things. And we figured, you know, we figured 60,000 pounds, maybe 450 of them or so, you know, something like that would be a load. So the captain, he's kind of rough counting, you know, he's in the wheelhouse because we're doing the work. And he's keeping the boat up there next to us, next to the freighter. And he's counting. And he said, okay, well, that should be about enough. So I yell up to this fucking guy. He's, you know, he's leaning up there against the edge. And he's looking down at me. And, and uh, I go, how many more? And he looks over at me and his half-ass fucking english he's yelling 50 more <laughs> so i said okay 50 more i tell him billy 50 more of these fucking things and uh he's peeling an orange this guy's he's he's another one peeling an orange that the captain and so we're counting between the two boats you know 50 you know you know 60 you know like so i said fucking this shit so we both captain and i billy and i both yelled up at the same time how many more of these fuckers are there? And the guy goes, 50 more. <laughs> <laughs> right away, I'm thinking this stupid motherfucker, you know, he's, he's not from around here, obviously. He, you know, <laughs> he, knows, he knows one number, and that's 50, right? So they kept throwing these goddamn things. And, and you know, a boat can only carry so much. I mean, and we can only put so much weight on this thing before the deck itself, you know. And I don't know if you, got, if you know what, you know, any of your listeners know what, I'm sure they do know what scuppers are. You know, on a boat whereby the, you know, the, the rainwater and the deck water can rinse and, and go off the back of the boat and into the mm -hmm. water. Well, you sink a boat down to those scuppers and it starts taking on water. <laughs> yep. You're going the fuck under, man. <laughs> well, we're yelling just at these guys, hey, you know, fuck this shit. So we had to cut, we had to literally take a life preserver and a knife and cut it apart take the innards out of it and start stuffing the scuffer holes and jamming them full to keep us from taking on water. And at the same time we're doing this, the captain's firing up the boat and we're leaving. <laughs> you know, we're getting away from these fuckers because they're going to sink us. Right. <laughs> we, we start pulling away from this fucking thing and there was still some light out. I mean, it's still probably about another hour daylight or so. And, 
And, you know, we're just chugging, man. At this, because of, of these types of lows, we're just, man, we're barely moving, you know. But we have got riding alongside of us what we called and paid for was a chase boat, which was some type of uh, very fast offshore deep V um, go fast that'll do 70 mile an hour for your ass will hit the seat kind of a boat, you know, with a handheld radar on it. So if we get, you know, we're watching our radar and it looks like we're going to be boarded or somebody's coming as uh, targets coming at us on our radar, we can get off on this thing and haul ass into the night and go, you know, so we had a way out. So that being said, we're watching this thing. We're pulling away from this, this freighter. And as far as I could see with binoculars, these assholes kept throwing the shit overboard. They were, they were throw. I mean, they were for an hour, they were still throwing shit off of there. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, I bet they threw 40, 50,000 more pounds of shit in the water. Wow. <laughs> and it is not, and, and, and I come to find out it's not, was not in those days untypical for a scenario like that to happen. Even had we had a third boat, we wouldn't have gotten it all. I've seen boats, you know, that are supposed to have only 40 tons on them or so, and, and or, you know, 30 tons, and we'd take half, another boat would take half, and they'd still be throwing, you know, some shit away, because if you could, you know, it's a dollars and cents game, this whole thing is, and 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 I'll add a little bit of a caveat to this with regards to violence, you know, at that level, and the reason why we were families and families oriented was because there's no violence at that level, simply because of the dollars and cents of it all. If a guy can fly like myself, can fly to Colombian by for ten dollars a pound, Colombian weed, I can buy thirty thousand pounds, fifteen tons for three hundred thousand dollars. That's one night of drinking bar money for some cocaine cowboy pool over in Miami. I'll haul as much of his shit as he wants, man. No problem. So I can take three hundred thousand dollars in in between eight and fourteen days, depending on any weather. For unforeseen weather patterns or what have you coming through the Gulf, I can turn 300 grand into 15 million in eight days, minus my fee for a job that size, which is right around 7 million, <laughs> 200,000 or something like that, which I would pay my crew and everybody that worked, and then myself, which was, was what was left over. They have now made nine, they had made $10 million. They made 9,700,000 plus their $300,000 back. So these fuckers aren't shooting at me, man. They can't give me money fast enough to go back, you know, and, and one of the uh, more easier and more simpler scenarios that I can take a little bit further, just do the math a little bit further and say that, okay, I made $9,700,000 for this guy on a $300,000 investment. Take that $300,000, that same 300,000, divide it back into 9,700,000. It comes out to 32. That 32 represents the number of loads that I have to get back into him. I can lose 31 of those. All, well, boom, boom, boom. All I need to do is get that 31, 31st, 32nd load in. They've not made, they've not lost money even still at that point. Right. <laughs> That's how stupid it wow. is. I mean, and I never lost one for them. You know, I never lost a load. I mean, we've seen a lot of shit, you know, people get scared or guys, you know, cause we're not the only pot haulers working out there, man. And I'm not going to ever say that, I, that we were, you know, there was the odd, you know, guys here doing their thing and you know, whatever like that. Some got in, some, some didn't, but you know, Hey, more fucking power to you, man. I'm only able to talk about a town that was able to integrate it into a way of life spanning 40 years and three generations and running the Southern waters in the Caribbean with <laughs> impunity, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing.
Right. But um, in, in, in a nonviolent <laughs> fashion and then, and the numbers tell you the reason why, I mean, there's just, there's too much money to be made, you know, and a lot of times, you know, at that dial, at that amount of money, ten dollars uh, a pound, I could spend say one hundred and seventy thousand dollars of my own money, and buy uh, buy uh, seventeen thousand pounds of shit and, and put it on one of my buddy's old rickety ass nasty boats up in Naples and put it adrift about six seven miles off shore and then have somebody you know have one of the guys call on it at a certain time, and while they're out there going score, you know, and everybody's swarming onto this boat i can move in sixty thousand pounds into everglades down here <laughs> you know hundred and seventy thousand dollars isn't even a night at a, at a club in miami you know <laughs> i don't care let them have it let them uh, score they're, they're pat themselves on the back all they want to but you know right so i know leo has another show tonight so we probably should wrap this up so he can get going on it absolutely but leo my apologies they... if i get no no, no 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 oh, no I mean, no i enjoyed it I this has been a great, i gotta, I gotta read great, the book now yeah this has been a great show you know and there's much much more that people can find out about you by picking yes. up the book and the book is leo yeah you can find everything in the show notes up above or down below depending on where you're watching or listening to us and uh, for me, just Google Leo Pond. You'll find a bunch of stuff. Could be true, could be not. I'm not going to say which is which, but I run a little thing called the Dorkening Podcast Network. we got a ton of awesome shows on our network, a lot of awesome people doing a lot of awesome stuff. Head on over to thedorkening.com, which you can find all the latest episodes of all the shows on the network right there. And uh, Tim, where do you like people interacting with you on social media? Um, I like them to check me out at, at Original Saltwater Cowboy um, on Instagram. And, um, if they would like to, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the second editions of my book are just now, you know, have just now come out. Amazon has them now They'll you know, feel free to do that, but I'm going to be putting up a link very soon on my, um, you know, to my, and my email through my, um, Instagram. So that's at original saltwater cowboy Instagram. Awesome. Jeffrey. Excellent. excellent. Wow. Unbelievable stories. I loved it. I Thank didn't you, say Joe. Anything. Uh, you know, awesome meeting you, dude. Fucking nothing. Oh, Sitting totally, all, totally. All, all gummied out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as for me, uh, just go to stilltalking.com. You'll find out everything you need to know about us. Talking with the Dead on Facebook. Uh, yeah. Okay, Benjamin. I've got to get more guests like this because, man, he didn't say a fucking word all night <laughs> at all. It's, people are going to be listening to the podcast. I was, be enthralled, with, I was enthralled. I was enthralled with the story. Where's, where's the awesome. host? Where, where's that guy, Jeff? He usually has a smart-ass comment for somebody. He hasn't said a word. <laughs> Benjamin, my man, there is so much more. So much more. There I, I is. Love. There is. And, you know, uh, we'll... I would love to get you on again at another date. You know, there's a it, lot of it. There's a lot the of it's not in the book. There's just, right. there's too much to tell to be able to write in the book, man. I mean, there's some, there's some funny shit. <laughs> there you go, Leo. We've got like what, 15 shows now on the network to do interviews. Oh yeah. We'll have to do a Tim McBride marathon. You know, I did a, <laughs> I did a, I did a thing in Canada for two years whereby I, I had a segment that I did once a week, every, every at four twenty every Thursday for two years, once a week, I never repeated the same story. <laughs> dude, dude, wow. I'm gonna, we're going to talk on the phone tomorrow. Cool. Because, because we have a radio station and we were looking for content for the fucking 420, weren't we, Leo? Well, you were. All right. <laughs>
Look at that. Um, cool. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, Jeff, Leo, it's been a it's been a pleasure meeting it, you guys. It's been it's been and amazing. You, you know, I see good things coming in the future from this. Um, but to yeah, to all our veterans and first responders, we want to thank you for doing what you do every week. So people like Absolutely. us can do what we do. Stay safe. We're out of here. We'll see you next week. Bye.